People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time, each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance okay and everyone's still good steady yeah steady welcome everyone to another episode of the nba podcast today we will start saying goodbye to a few teams that are completely out of the playoff race we'll also talk about some espn features that have been making the waves in the last couple days and we'll revisit the dnp rest controversy before we get underway just wanted to remind you all that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod, and there you can find our all three of our Twitter handles. So give us a follow as well. You can find us this year on iTunes. So we'd love it if you subscribed, downloaded, left some feedback. We'd love anything, both good or bad. And you can find the iTunes link at the very bottom of the audio boom feed uh, on our page. Also, this year we're being hosted on FanRag Sports, so be sure to check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports. And for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. We've had a lot. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back to school styles for kids and baby. Get flip flops for two bucks, graphic tees for four bucks, shorts for six dollars, and jeans for eight dollars. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid size prices. Just two, four, six, and eight dollars. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Exclude in-store clearance. A lot of good stuff, both about the NBA and the NCAA tournament. Lots of stuff about how those prospects are shaping up in terms of NBA prospects. So check out FanRag Sports for a bunch of good content there. As always, today I am joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. Pretty good. Sarah, you're, you're happy that your Spurs could avenge that loss to the Grizzlies, I'm sure? Yeah, it was it was time to beat them, finally. I'm sick of losing to them already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also this week, at least for this first segment, we have a very special guest, my wife, Alex, who is finishing up her fourth year of medical school right now. She'll be starting her residency in July in internal medicine. Uh, you'll see why she's on in a minute. But welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. For sure. So as mentioned, uh, we are going to start this week instead of our since last time. A lot of the news being made at this late juncture of the season is being made by a bunch of teams that are completely out of the playoff race. So we're going to start this week with some Eastern Conference postmortems. And unfortunately, my Philadelphia 76ers need to lead the way because uh, on Wednesday, ESPN's Mark Stein reported that Joel Embiid is very likely to undergo surgery on the meniscus tear that he suffered sometime. <laughs> we don't exactly know when, because the Sixers aren't being forthcoming. 
Um, the Sixers quickly confirmed that he is going to undergo surgery. They have not revealed what kind of surgery uh, that he's going to have, so this is why we brought Alex on to explain the difference uh, between the types of procedures he could undergo. So, Alex, uh, can you just tell us briefly about the difference between, I believe the, the term is a meniscotomy, or a metastectomy, sorry, and then uh, a meniscal repair? Yeah, so those are there's a few different options in terms of what you can do uh, with the meniscus repair. For people who aren't athletes, you generally just kind of let it sit if it's not that bad. Conservative treatment, people just kind of rest and ice. Um, but for an athlete, uh, you definitely want to take a surgical approach to kind of get the healing process started a little bit more quickly. So your choice is between the repair and then removal of a, a part or a completely the entire meniscus with a menis- meniscectomy. Um, so generally speaking, you know, there's pros and cons for each, but the meniscectomy, the long-term outcomes are generally not as great. People have bigger issues with arthritis, a little bit more, um, disability, you know, as time goes on, especially if they're an, you know, a professional athlete and they're on their knees, they're using their knees a lot. Um, the meniscus repair has a little bit of a longer, uh, rehab time. Um, you also have a higher, higher chance of having surgery, later down the line, re-tearing the meniscus, requiring another repair. Um, but in the long run, it's it's usually a lot better for the knees. Okay. So just to provide some context for everyone, Dwayne Wade had the meniscectomy, I believe, in 2002. And he has since said uh, a couple of years ago that he regretted doing that because of the problems that, Alex, you just described, the long-term you know, degenerative condition of his knees. Um some other guys who have had the meniscectomy without any problems so far, I believe Russell Westbrook had a partial one. Blake Griffin, I believe, had a partial one as well. So far, their knees are holding up, but obviously they're a little bit younger than uh, Dwayne Wade. So, Alex, if you're a Sixers fan, which procedure are you hoping that Embiid has right now? Um, You know, just Joel Embiid being Joel Embiid and just wanting to see him play for a long time. Um, I would think the repair would be a better option for him. Um, you know, with that said, certain certain types of meniscus injuries necessitate removal. So he may that may not necessarily be an option for him to kind of depending on the location and the shape of the tear. Um, but if it is an option, generally speaking, the repair is is the more the more favorable management strategy. Okay, great. Uh, and I'm asking all of these questions because a couple weeks ago, or uh, probably even longer than that when they shut him down for the season i promised we would discuss uh the extension dilemma with joel Embiid. he becomes eligible for an extension on july 1st um so you know now he is three years into his nba career he has played 31 games total out of a possible 246 so obviously a very small sample size the sixers have to evaluate whether he could be a long-term piece of the puzzle that said, he played so well in 31 games that he is still probably going to finish within the top three of Rookie of the Year voting. So, Alex, uh, how worried are you about uh, both the meniscus injury and then just the concept of extending him in general? Um, you know, meniscus injuries are, are pretty fairly common, and they're fairly common in basketball. So when I think of Joel Embiid's career, the thing that concerns me more um, is are the, the feet issues that he been, he's been having and have you know been the main reason he hasn't played much so far. Um, I think that 
the meniscus itself, you know, if he, especially if he gets the repair, it might be a problem in the near, maybe, you know, in the next one or two seasons, but I don't think that's going to be the thing that ends his career. I also love him. So (laughs) for that reason, I want to extend him. Good. You could see everyone that I've trained her very well. Uh, All right, guys, do you have any questions for Alex here? Just how the hell do you put up with Brian on a daily basis? <laughs> I don't know. It's really, really hard. The, the homerism, you just you just have to learn how to shut him down when he needs to be shut down. Yeah, we're having real trouble with that. He's just He keeps on talking all the time. We don't even get the chance to. That's true. I know. Unfortunately, you don't have the benefit of just kind of being able to smack him yeah. if he really needs it. Right. But just call me. I got you. <laughs> oh, I will. I will. I, I can shut him down for you. Don't worry. <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us alex we appreciate your medical insight uh as mentioned she starts her residency in july so take everything i say with a grain of salt <laughs> well also we, we would love to have her on in future episodes but she will be buried in the hospital from now until the end of time yeah, so very likely, very likely. hopefully we could draw upon her expertise in the future but if nothing else she could at least calm our fears about joel Embiid. so right. thank you alex all right, thanks, thanks alex thank you all right uh, so, guys, based on everything Alex just said, uh, where do you land on the the scale of should they or should they not extend Joel Embiid this summer? I'll start with you, Sarah, since you are the, the big man expert here. <laughs> oh, really, we should first take a moment to just, I mean, we thanked Alex, but, I mean, let's appreciate the fact that that is the most informative and the smartest this podcast will ever be. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I... I, obviously, I would say extend him. I, I mean, there's a a margin there between you know what is acceptable risk and what, you know, they obviously know more about his knee than we do, and they're not interested in telling anybody very much, uh, which is their right. But, um, you know, yeah, you you want to extend him. He's he's too great a talent um, to just not do that. But. Um, how many years, the number of dollars, that's, therein lies the question, but, um, right. so, and you guys are obviously much better at the nuance of all that than I am, but yeah, all right. you gotta extend them. So, Mort, let's, let's go through the nuance there. How, if you're gonna extend them, how long would you do it for, and how much would you do it? Would you give them the full five-year max? Oh, man. No. No, I, I probably wouldn't. I would give him four, and I would try my damnedest to make the fourth year some kind of non-guaranteed year. Mm-hmm. And then I wouldn't mind paying him top dollar all three years if possible. Like, max him out for for those years and then see what happens. Um, sure. But still, I mean, it's it's a gamble, and I'm kind of thinking here that it's it's pretty good that you have another high draft pick coming, potentially another one, and then you have the Kings pick in 20. 19 i want to say yes so that's that that might end up being necessary if Embiid does have like a pseudo career ending uh permanent problem to his knees or feet or whatever it just seems like there's always something going on that's so unfortunate because we just saw that little glimpse of brilliance yeah so so i want to i want to kind of reward that glimpse at least a little bit and take a gamble on it because it was that special but the full five, no, and guaranteeing four years, no. Three, I can sort of handle, but not anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I, you know, I was talking with Alex before we started recording, kind of about 
the pros and cons to each side. And it's like a really tricky, I can't think of an extension candidate that's been harder to evaluate than mm-hmm. Joel Embiid because based on the talent we've seen, he's a five-year max guy without question. If you knew he was going to stay healthy, he has like, he has the potential to be a top 10 player in the league. That's not hyperbole. That is just, there are oh, very fact. few, right. There are very few two-way forces like that. That said, you know, again, based on everything Alex said, I'm not super concerned about the meniscus. Uh, <laughs> I'm concerned more about the Sixers' medical staff and the fact they let him play on a torn meniscus rather than the meniscus tear in general. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I lean toward saying I wouldn't extend him at all and I would want him to play, play out the 2017-18 year. Uh, and then if he stays healthy and continues showing the talent that he has five-year maximum next summer. Uh, The problem is if you give him an extension this summer, you can't give him five years without giving him the max. So if you want to do a four-year deal, it cannot be... Or uh, You could do a four-year deal for anything. If if he's willing to take like a Steph Curry discount kind of thing because he knows he has injury issues and just wants to guarantee some sort of salary, wants to do like four years, 80 million, that's great. And I think you possibly do that just to lock him in at that discounted price but you're giving up a year of team control so that's it's like a really it's a it's a tough spot for brian colangelo to be in um that said keith pompey of the philadelphia inquirer has reported the sixers aren't really deterred right now uh, by this meniscus injury there sounds like they're planning on extending him so we'll have to see exactly what you know how many years they give him how much money but sounds like as long as he stays healthy, he'll be in a Sixers uniform for a long time. And he has to agree. Like, let's right. not forget about that. I mean, he right. might decline everything below a five-year max. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him, frankly. I mean, I I couldn't begrudge him if he was insulted by, you know, the Sixers trying to get him locked into a discount. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know if the Sixers should want to get him in the discount because I think you want that, you know, I think you're you're okay paying him what he's worth if you get that extra year of team control. So for both sides, I see, you know, I think there's really an argument to make both sides to make, to push it off and let him hit restricted free agency. You can match whatever offer he gets. If you let him do that, I don't think, you know, based on the injury concerns, I don't think he's going to take the qualifying offer. I'm not scared of that, but like maybe he's turned off by that approach and maybe he takes a, uh, you know, a three year deal with a third year player option so he can hit, unrestricted free agency that much faster and he can hit that that second tier of contract level so it's you know if if you let him test restricted free agency that's also risky because there's no guarantee he takes what you offer him you might sign an offer sheet with another team but see now you said you aren't afraid of him taking the qualifying offer i am gonna fight you a little bit on that because of one thing you mentioned the philadelphia uh not coaching staff, med- yeah. medical staff. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. he feels mistreated or misdiagnosed or whatever is gonna, whatever is happening behind closed doors, if he feels that they are handling this poorly, and mm-hmm. the whole situation has been has been mismanaged, yeah. he might believe it was it would be in his best interest to take the qualifying offer, get out of Philly ASAP, go to a team that has an amazing medical staff, Phoenix, right, um, oh. and and say, you know what, I'm I'm. Joel Embiid, I'm going to be fine as long as the medical staff can take care of me. And then he researches in 
Phoenix and Philly sitting there with their thumbs up their asses and doesn't know what to do. <laughs> right. The only thing that makes me think he would not do that is based on how many serious injuries he's had so far. Uh, I think he's going to want guaranteed money locked in. If not by this summer, definitely by next summer. I don't think he can wait until 2019 to lock in guaranteed cash. But it, hey, maybe you know, not. Yeah, yeah. We we don't know because I think your your concerns about the Philly medical staff are valid. They're, you know they are shared widely right now among Sixers fans because it's it's a very concerning trend of you know a lot of these guys come in injured, but like Jalil Okafor has been. He still has knee soreness that he had surgery a year ago. Ben Simmons, in theory, that timeline was three to four months, and he's out for the whole year. It, it, something seems a little fishy uh, in terms of how long it's taking all of these guys to recover. So Sam sure, Hinkie would have figured stuff out. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> right. Blame Brian Colangelo, as always. That's the moral of the story. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we will revisit this discussion in the summer uh, once the extension deadline actually mm. is, you know, happens yeah. uh so by the way re- i'm so glad to see that alex is real because sarah <laughs> and i were beginning to really question that yeah yeah i, I am not being catfished unfortunately i i do have a real wife and oh no i was just i was just thinking it was a figment of your imagination because <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. right yeah i'm moving to tennessee <laughs> for fun this summer that's right uh okay for the nachos we all know you do it yeah yeah that's just no for the joke. nacho hat yeah we're going down in a couple weeks and believe me i will be binge eating those barbecue nachos uh all right let's move on to the orlando magic one of the biggest disappointments of the year which has kind of become a tradition for the magic in the last couple of years uh as a result according to espn.com's mark stein general manager rob hennigan uh, his job is, quote, under threat uh, because the Magic <gasps> no. are set to miss the playoffs for the fifth straight season. So Stein mentioned uh, a couple candidates for the job. I don't think we're going to know anything about these guys, but just to throw them out there, Detroit Pistons executive Pat Garrity, who played for the Magic, and Golden State Warriors assistant general manager Travis Schlenk, who broke into the NBA with the Magic. He also floated a possible Doc Rivers reunion with Orlando once his Clippers contract expires, but Rivers batted that away very quickly. Um, no Mike so, Saren? Uh, I maybe. I mean, I, I there was nothing in uh, in, in Stein's report. report. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, but that said, I think you know names might come out of the woodwork if and when Hennigan is fired. So. Instead of evaluating candidates right now, because Hennigan does still have a job, um, let's instead talk about what you think the Magic should be looking for in a new general manager if they do fire him. Um, more, do you think anyone on that Magic roster is a long-term keeper, or how should they go about moving forward into next season? See, that's a good question because we all assumed that Aaron Gordon would be a tremendous keeper and, you know, the type of guy that you could potentially build a team around. But Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly loving the season he has going on, even though I know he was played out of position a lot. But still, I mean, when you look at his numbers, it hasn't been great. Mm -hmm. He's been sort of disappointing. This is his third year. I mean, I was kind of expecting a little bit more. I want to give him another shot. I don't necessarily want to trade him just to trade him. Mm-hmm. But he would have to do something unexpected to make me fall in love with him all over again, so to say, uh, for next year. So if there is a trade 
during like the draft, someone offers like the fifth pick or something for Aaron Gordon. Yeah, you do it. You you just you re you, you hit the reset button. You go okay, sure. You know Terrence Ross. I don't know. He has like what a couple years left on his deal. He's yeah. young enough. He's twenty five. It's mm. like he can stick around because it's like what is it ten twelve million. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. I think it's yeah. uh I wanna say it was like four years forty four million. Something yeah, so, around there. Right. Like a reasonable he's a price. Yeah. Yeah, and he's an athletic shooter who can D up when he really wants to. I don't mind that all that much. Mm-hmm. The question becomes Evan Fournier. Like what do you do with him? Because he's earned a lot of money. He's doing somewhat well, seventeen points a game, three rebounds, three assists, can shoot it, though he hasn't been hitting a whole bunch of uh, threes this year. I don't know where you guys stand on that, but it just seems like this whole roster and his player, the, the, its players are just mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. So I would probably go hinky on its ass. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love I love that that's a verb now. Um, yeah, Sarah, what do you think about this Magic roster? Do you think there's anyone worth keeping around, or as Morton said, is it hinky time? Basically, like Morton said, I mean, there's nobody that's untouchable for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to your initial question of what are they look, what should they look for in a GM? I, of course, they still have one, but um, right. they just need some direction, somebody with like a plan. Yeah. You know, I it didn't make sense from from jump what they were doing this year. You know, you trade for Ibaka and then you go after Biombo hard. Mm-hmm. And it just it doesn't make sense why. I mean, they kind of had uh, the Nurkic Jokic effect on each other. They, they similar players kind of stifle each other a little bit. Um, it just you know didn't make sense. And and I've said this a thousand times. Like I really liked what they were doing. They didn't have any Embiid's on the roster, but right. you know Oladipo, Harris, you know, and out of that group of about four guys with Gordon and, and Peyton, they end up keep keeping the latter two, which fine, but yeah, and then they try to play Gordon out of position. It's just it it never made sense from the beginning. Yeah. So it's a shame yeah. that they've kind of gone backwards in their quest to rebuild. Yeah. I think you said it well. They don't have a an Embiid esque prospect. They don't have that like true superstar. Like even though I mean, it comes down to luck, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have to, yeah. you can get so many high lottery picks, but if you get the number two pick in a draft that doesn't have a transcendent player, or at least one projected toward the top, like no one knew Giannis and Rudy Gobert would <laughs> turn into, so, you know, if you redraft that draft class, Giannis and Gobert go one and two. So, uh, but, you know, there's no, like, Anthony Davis, or I mean, I guess you're looking at number two picks, but there's not, you know, there's not even like a Brandon Ingram or like a Kevin Durant who was a number two pick before. So like, you need to get lucky in finding a superstar caliber talent at the top, which they have not yet. Aaron Gordon is probably the closest they have, but as you both have said, playing him out of position was probably ill-advised, seeing as he, like Embiid, is now eligible for an extension in July, and you don't really know. You know, he's had two seasons now where after the All-Star break, he goes off. Uh, but we don't really know what he is or how much he's worth. Like, are you re- you know, are you ready to pay him four-year, $80 million contract? Like, no. Yeah, I, I don't no. know. And then same thing with Alfred Payton. Like, he's been really good since the All-Star break. But 
you know, Scott Skiles basically resigned because they were so committed to him, and he fell out of favor with Frank Vogel a lot earlier in the year. Like, he got benched for DJ Augustine, which is not a glowing endorsement of Alfred Payton's long-term future. So I am with you two. I don't think there is a single untouchable on the roster. I think, you know, if they had that superstar caliber player, like, they have a great set of complementary guys. Like, it would make a lot of sense if they had... Like, you know, if somehow they could convince Paul George to sign with them in 2018 or Gordon Hayward to sign with them this summer, suddenly they start making a lot more sense. But uh, suffice it to say, I do not think any big name free agent is going to sign in Orlando for this foreseeable future, at least until they have a direction. So I think, Sarah, I think you said it well. They, they just need to choose a direction. And I'm not willing to pin this 100% on Hennigan. Because mm-hmm. the moves they made this summer, you know, sometimes you can you can just kind of tell like the owner is forcing a general manager to like make a uh, playoff push. Like he, you know, they've been mm-hmm. rebuilding for a couple years and they lose patience and like, all right, where like where is the progress here? We need to really start <laughs> seeing tangible progress. So that's like that's kind of what the Ibaka trade and the Biombo signing and especially the Jeff Green signing felt like. You know, it might have just been. Rich DeVos saying, like, look, we've been, you know, this is year five after Dwight Howard. Like, we need to show some sort of progress. Uh, So it really might come down to, you know, if DeVos wants to push for the playoffs, it doesn't matter who they bring in. You know, they, they might be stuck either way until he's willing to embrace yet another rebuild. But it does feel like this core, I mean, you know, both... Peyton and Gordon will be restricted free agents in 2018 if they don't sign extensions this summer. So they have a lot of big decisions to make in the coming 16 months or so. So I'm glad you brought that up. Can we talk about old owners and the need to win now and how it's absolutely handicapping their team every damn time? Because this is becoming a legitimate problem for Orlando and we're seeing Chicago with a little bit to it as well. And in the in years past, for different teams, it's been the same story. Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous problem. Right now, you have a guy who's I don't know even I don't even know how old Rich is at this point. I think he's ninety two. I want ninety two. Okay, like so that, yeah, yeah, it's up there. And I get it. I get that he wants to be. You know what? Let's just say it. He wants to be selfish because he wants to see a team win. And mm-hmm. I get that. It's it's sort of fair in that sense. But when he he is going to handicap his team, then. You know, maybe let's hope it, it, it's years away. Then he's gonna pass away, and he's gonna leave the team in crumbles. Yeah. That is extremely selfish, and it's not the best way to, you know, put the team in your hands of your, I assume, children, just mm-hmm. like Jerry Buss did. I I can only imagine that's what he's planning to do. So, what the hell do you do here? If I was the GM of Orlando, I would just. I would put everyone on the trade block. I would see how many first rounders I could get in, at the, in this very draft. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would go all in on this draft because of the depth. Right. I would. I would give up some rotation players, even a maybe a little bit below value for a second rounder or whatever. I would just hit the ultimate reset button because, as you guys said, right now there's no semblance of a plan. It's all about the role players that are available, and they need a star. And they don't have that in B type. Well, okay, guess what? You get in the B type by having a shitload of picks. That's that's what you need because the draft is a is a crapshoot. 
So you need to have so many chances that you can have. Trading your entire team filled of role players for chances at a superstar? Hell, I'll take that. I'll take that odds, those odds instead. Because the, the odds of one of those role players suddenly busting out on, on the real world and becoming a superstar, it's slim to none. Yeah. Give it up. Just give them up for picks. Even if it's like mid-lottery. Don't Doesn't matter. If you get like two or three first-rounders in the mid-lottery area or something like that in this draft... I'll take it. I'll take my. I'll take my chances. Yeah, the problem is I don't think they could get those type of picks. I I don't think any one of their players. I feel like Peyton or sorry Gordon would probably have the highest value of yeah. anyone they can trade. But go down the list of teams. I mean, first let's let's mention that they have their own pick this year, which they right do. now they have the fourth best odds. So there's a, a very real chance that they hit. One or two, they get Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball, and suddenly it's a much different conversation because that those two guys really could be franchise changers. Even Josh Jackson, I mean, right? Uh, but if they yeah, land like, a fourth, yeah, then then it starts getting a little dicey. But I don't know, you know, go down the list of teams. Like maybe Sacramento is willing just because they're Sacramento and they're dumb and they make bad <laughs> trades. Like maybe mm-hmm. they're willing to trade one of their two mid-lotto picks for Aaron Gordon, uh, even though they have a million power forwards and centers still. Um, but, you know, like, I don't think the Knicks do it. I don't think the Mavericks do it. Uh, I, I just don't... You don't I, think I, the Knicks would trade their pick for maybe Alfred Payton, knowing that Derek Rose is a free agent? No, because you have him for one more year, and then you have to pay him. Well, still, it's James Dolan, let's see. Yeah, right, I, exactly. I mean, there's there are a lot of dumb teams toward the top of the lottery still, so th- it's possible to take advantage of in- incompetence. But I think just in terms of evaluation, uh, yeah. I don't think any of those guys are going to fetch a top-ten pick. Maybe, like, Indiana is willing to flip whatever they have, 16-17, for one of those guys to try to woo... Paul George to stay, especially if Jeff Teague leaves. Um, but no, I, I really think uh, in terms of trade value, maybe they get a, a good pick in future drafts, but I, I would be very surprised if they could get a top 10 pick for any player on their roster in this year's draft. <laughs> Which just <laughs> completely explains their predicament to begin with. Right, right, exactly. I mean, but like, would you, you know, would you rather have. Laurie Markinen for four years or Aaron Gordon for one year. Right. Markinen. Yeah, exactly. So, and where he's projected, like Jonathan Isaac, I feel like that might be more of a debate, but, you know, that's, you're already falling into like the 8, 9, 10 range right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, so. man. They are just so, they are in a bad position. Like, <laughs> we we talk about the Bulls and Knicks and Kings as being yeah. in a bad spot, but the Magic are right there. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they have the potential to get good very quickly, depending on what happens again in this year's draft, but there's also a very bleak future if they fall to four or five or six and then have to take, like, Dennis Smith Jr., which puts Alfred Payton's future in jeopardy, and it's a very big summer for Orlando either way. But this but, this roster is built for Markel Fultz, like you just true. said. Like, yeah, exactly. This, this is a roster that's one Markel Fultz away from the playoffs, like next right. year. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of complimentary talent. They just need that one-star player. So 
we'll see what happens with Orlando. Uh, fingers crossed for you guys in the lottery, as long as you don't jump the Sixers. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. As you mentioned, had to Lloyd- come. yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to jinx the Sixers at any point in the next two months. Uh, but Mort, you just mentioned the New York Knicks, so let's talk about them for a second because news came we out have this week. To. Oh, we do. Oh. We do. Uh, news came out this week that Jeff Hornacek, uh, their head coach, basically said very clearly that they are going to run the triangle full time next year. Uh, he he kind of suggested they had their toe in the water a little bit this year, which is why. They had so many problems with the offense. Um, Shaq and Charles Oakley both came out this week and defended the triangle as well. Basically said it's the players, not the system, that caused the problems this year. So, Sarah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this to you. Uh, do you think it was the triangle that is, the, or I guess the lack thereof of the triangle that really sent the Knicks plummeting this year, or is there something else to blame? <laughs> No, it wasn't just the triangle or lack of triangle or whatever. I think we all know that they didn't make great decisions over the summer, last summer. Right. Um, It's just, it's funny to me. If they want to run the triangle, fine. Especially if that's what Hornacek wants to do. But I feel like it should be more of a collaborative decision between him. You know, it shouldn't be, we all know that it's kind of a Phil Jackson mandate. And I don't Mm -hmm. feel like that should be the case. Um I don't think he he really should have anything to do with like what style they're running or that he should be able to say this is what it's going to be. Um, and then if if that's what they want to do, then they need to piece together a roster that is going to fit that style. You know, I I've been we when we've picked a executive of the year, I've been a, a Dennis Lindsay fan, but. I mean, you guys have said Maury, and honestly, he deserves a lot of credit because if you're going to bring in Dan Tony. You have to put the roster around him that can execute his style of play. So, I mean, if, if Phil is all about the triangle, then they need to bring guys who want to play that style. And and you, as you talked about in in our outline, Brian, you know, Carmelo's probably not that guy. Of course, right. Phil's been trying to push him out all year, but um, <laughs> right. you know, Derrick Rose is potentially not that guy either. Um, so they definitely, if you're going to commit to it, then be all in and try to put the right players in the right positions. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. So, Mort, do you think uh, do you think Derek's time is limited in New York, and do you think they're going to finally convince Carmelo to waive his no-trade clause this summer? Oh, Derek be gone. <laughs> he is so gone, and he is like a Sacramento king already, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 isn't that the vibe you're getting, that Derek is going to land in Sacramento because... Vivek is going to fall in love with the idea of getting a former MVP in there. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, I I was I was sure that he was going to land there at the trade deadline before Rudy Gay got hurt. I I just I could have sworn that was their yeah. like big splash. They're going to trade Rudy Gay and then to New York and then that would free them to trade Carmelo Anthony, but obviously that went oh. <laughs> that went down. Well, he both he and Carmelo should be moving on. It seemed like Carmelo kind of opened the door to a move uh, earlier this week, which has been a long time coming. Uh, I, I feel bad for him because he likes New York. He wants to stay, but I do feel that he's reached like the end of the, his rope. Like I, I'm not going to fight this anymore. I'm just going to want to move on. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of a shame to have 
Phil Jackson of all people who is has been completely incompetent in his position to to actually allow him to push Carmelo out. But no, he's not a a, a triangle player. Neither is Derek. So if those guys move on, that you need to like get some sort of quality back from Carmelo at least. Yeah, uh, that fits the triangle because if you are trading Melo and you get players back who are completely incapable, like isolation guys and whatever, then that's which would be totally Knicks, by the way. Yeah. Then it really then it would. wouldn't work. Like you have what Courtney Lee right now, who is sort of who can sort of fit into the triangle because he can shoot. You have mm-hmm. Hernan Gomez, who I think can fit in because he can post up. But it's like it's an it's an old school traditional offense. I don't think these unicorn players necessarily function that well in that system, even mm-hmm. though it is moving and cutting and straight line up and down. I get that, but I just think the pick and roll game is more efficient for them. Yeah, I could be wrong, but that's that's just the sense I'm getting. Uh, so yeah, I, I think both are gone, and I think it's it's the time to, to do something new in New York. How what what the roster is going to look like? I have no idea, but I could right. imagine it starts with. Hernan Gomez, Courtney Lee, maybe Kylo Quinn a little bit because he can't yeah. shoot even though he doesn't he hasn't proved it this year, but he can. He can mm-hmm. sort of do both. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Going let's go to our big man expert on that one. Yeah. Oh Quinn. Is does he like fit in with New York? In the triangle? I don't know. I think and you know, when you were talking about the um the roster, I was thinking well, kinda of, there's the rub, right? Because we've talked about the bowls wanting to they kind of went after names last year right yeah <laughs> rather than fit and the the Knicks kind of did the same thing and I feel like that's part of it when you're in this big market uh, you're these storied franchises you're going for these names and you're trying to put butts in seats and I think if you're gonna go all in on triangle you're not really looking for those kind of guys not that the big name guys can't play that that style but you're kind of looking for this ragtag group of like you said shooters cutters to kind of fill in and it's not dissimilar again to what houston did i mean they didn't bring in huge name guys they kind of brought in you know gordon was a risk because of injury and you know but they fit so mm. they're gonna have to go for that rather than you know let's cut out this you know we want to get past mvps whatever you know who's gonna fit just put the right people in the positions so you know, obviously, I saw it go across the timeline the other day. Jokic would be like the perfect, oh yeah, <laughs> the perfect triangle big, but obviously that's never going to happen. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if O'Quinn really fits that. How about now? Now going away from the big man, how about Dion Waiters? He's got like this <laughs> Kobe mini, 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 mini light to it. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, the high volume scorer who can take over ball handling duties once in a while. It doesn't like if he wants to post up, he's gonna post up because he has the green light anyway, and he's just gonna fire at will. I don't know. It just seems like he could be like sort of the one of those weird fits in the triangle. But going back to the triangle a little bit, a lot of it has to do with posting up and the bait of posting up. The post up is not a weapon of choice anymore. Right. It's a decoy play, and mm-hmm. seems no, it's a decoy play, and that's about it. So that sort of undermines the whole integrity of the triangle offense in this current day DNA. Like, who do you get in there? Okay, Carlin, Anthony Towns would fit in there. Like, most of the unicorns 
strangely enough, not Porzingis because he's not really that sort of post-up guy. Like, he mm-hmm. can do it on occasion, but he's more of the face-up guy like Chris Bosh was. Yeah. So, it's, you know, you. I mean, look look at what we're saying here. You need a Nikola Jokic. You need a Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> right. Like, right. that's that's really the problem, right? You need yeah. one of those guys to really do it, and you have you are so far away. You have Kylo Quinn. Like, hey, Kyle, try to be like Carl, right? <laughs> Just be like Cat. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, well, man. See, I'm I'm glad you guys went down this path because this this leads to my theory. They have a team option on Phil Jackson this summer, and I do not think they should exercise it. I think oh, they obviously. Need... So I like I think that his his clear obsession with the triangle is holding them back because they are not going to attract. They, I, <laughs> there there is a balance between attracting big name free agents and free agents who fit in this modern day basketball and then attracting guys who fit in the triangle. But because you're in New York, you have to go after those glamorous guys, but they are not fits for the triangle. If you could run Phil Jackson's system in like Minnesota or Oklahoma city, maybe it's okay. Cause you're not expecting those big name guys to sign there, but because it's the Knicks, I just don't think it will work. And I know he had it with the Lakers, but, like, you had Kobe and Shaq. You know, you had stars in place. You The, the Knicks, they have Chris Stops. They have their own first-round pick this year. So they, again, just like Orlando, they could hit the lottery. They could hit Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball, and all of a sudden their outlook is far brighter. But I, I just do not think, you know, Phil has hit on a lot of minor moves uh, and then, obviously, drafted Kristaps was a major move, but some of his like lower key signings have been actually pretty savvy. But the big moves have been awful, and that Joakim Noah deal is really going to cripple them for you know the next three years. Like I, it's already obvious that Hernan Gomez is their starting center of the future. Mm-hmm. You cannot put Joakim Noah back at the starting lineup next year based on what you've seen from Hernan Gomez this year. So unless you're willing to stretch him, which they might, you know, they might have to do, uh, it, it, it's just, it's a rough spot. But just in general about the, the offense being the focus, like they're 27th in defensive efficiency. Like if we're going to complain about something, let's talk about how they can't stop anyone because they're 17th <laughs> in offensive efficiency. Like, you know, not great, but I would say being near the league average is better than having a bottom five defense. So I don't know. It, the Knicks are in a weird place, but I, I really think, you know, that I I'm with you both that Derrick Rose is definitely leaving. I do think they need to trade Carmelo for whatever they can get for him and start building around Chris Dops and Hernan Gomez. Um, but I also think you got to move on from Phil Jackson too. You, you need mm. both sides of the mellow Phil Jackson marriage to move on before you can mm. really start having a, a hopeful future. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think Knicks fans are in agreement with that. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think Nurkic would have been a decent triangle big, and he was clearly available. Mm. To be That's a, trade, a good call. But, yeah. I mean, maybe he and Kristaps wouldn't have worked well together, but I think being that Kristaps can stretch all the way out to the three, they could have probably made that work. Yeah. I mean, three-point line. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and don't sleep on Nurkic development in terms of being a three-point 
shooter down yeah, the line as well. Like when, yeah. in his rookie season, he had quite a few of those 18, 19 footers where he spotted up. And even I think he took Boogie off the dribble once and like <laughs> poured one in his face. So <laughs> he's got a little bit of that game to him that could allow him to extend his range in the years to come. So I that's actually a, a very good idea right there. Miles Plumley theoretically because he can pass and he can post, but he's more of a face up big or a pick and roll big. But Mason Plumley, you mean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mason Plumley. Yeah, <laughs> too many right. Plumleys in the league. There are too many Plumleys. God. Yeah. 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 Mason is a restricted free agent this year, right. so that's he a possibility. Is. But again, that Noah contract really hamstrings them. I can't. I don't oh, think you're gonna Devote, you know, 40 percent of your salary cap to a center or two centers, I should say. See, uh, Paul Millsap would be perfect, by the way. He's a free agent, ooh, but yeah? but then you have the problem of Hernan Gomez and Kristaps. Like, you would have right. to put Hernan Gomez on the bench and play Kristaps at the five. I don't mind mm-hmm. that because Paul will handle the defensive uh, big – he will handle the defensive responsibility on that end, you know, so I wouldn't have a problem with it. But why would you want to go out and get, like, a 30 – one forty-two yeah, yeah. year old, like, and so, why would he want to sign there? Like he's right. at the point where he wants to contend for a championship. The yeah, Knicks are nowhere yeah. near that, so they're going to have to rely on that, like Knicks Alaire in the Madison Square yeah. Garden draw, which you know, oh, probably they, it isn't even a draw anymore. <laughs> right, like, yeah. right. So probably. So, if, question for the two of you: Let's assume, let's stay optimistic to, towards Knicks fans, not the Knicks, but let's mm-hmm. just. Let's just play with the thought that they actually do fire Phil. The triangle goes out the window. And now let's go all crazy and say James Dolan is going to be a logical human being. And he's going to hire, like, the right guy. What kind of system would you want to put in its place? I I know this. whatever system you choose would have to be reliant upon the kind of players that you bring in, whatever. Mm -hmm. I would... Regardless, I want to see like a three-point shooting heavy offense with lots of passing and cutting and transition D. Like sort of like a mini light Golden State Warriors type of thing mm-hmm. where you get lesser versions of those players. Like instead of Steph Curry, you might trade for Seth Curry or something like that. You get like the the mini versions of what you have. Maybe even Aaron Gordon to fill out the Draymond role. Something like mm-hmm. that. You can get Nick Stauskas. He shoots like... Stephanie's big Blake play, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, just at least try to do some some sort of Eastern Conference version of mimicking what is successful. Then you can always yeah. build on a solid foundation and get guys in there at a later date. Yeah, yeah. Get a system I, in place, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard to say just because. Outside of Kristaps and Hernan Gomez, I have no idea who's going to be on that roster in six months. Courtney Lee, though. Yeah, Courtney Lee will be, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree that, like, obviously you should move away from the triangle, emphasize threes, emphasize passing. And, you know, I mean, that, in theory, the, <laughs> they tried to emphasize passing this year. It just didn't go all that well because they have Derek Rose and Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> right. So did they really, though? <laughs> right. Right. Uh <laughs> All right, let's keep things in New York. Let's switch over to the Brooklyn Nets, who, you know, no surprise this year, they were awful. Uh, Jeremy Lin missed a lot of the year with hamstring issues, so 
that only further compounded their misery. They've shown some flashes of life since he came back. Actually, I think Mark Stein tweeted this out, that the Nets have more wins in March than the Cavs do heading into Friday. So, that's fun. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously they don't have their first-round pick. They, they don't have control of their first-round pick this year. They have two picks in the, like, early 20s, I want to say. Late teens, early 20s. Um, their first-round pick next year goes to Boston as well. So, Sarah, are there any positive takeaways from this Nets season? Yeah, you got Sean Marks, who I'm a believer in. <laughs> uh, he's going to do the best job he can do. Uh, honestly, they have some young guys that really have a lot of promise, too. Um, I like Levert. I like mm-hmm. Hollis Jefferson. Seems like he is really good off the ball, cutting into that, that uh, open space. Seemed like he was a really good uh, pick-and-roll partner for Lynn when Lynn was able to be on the floor. Uh, I like Lynn staying there. I just... I mean, I don't know what the the issue is. Hopefully, he's not going to continue to have these nagging injuries. Um, but yeah, he's it's really we've talked about before a talented pick and roll guard and and has this kind of magic that he <laughs> just makes it work. Um, you know, I I like that that team. I just there again. You know, obviously they don't have a superstar talent at the moment, and it's going to be hard to get anytime soon. You need luck anyway, and they don't have their picks, so right. that's a problem. But, no, I mean, I still probably am more confident in what they're going to do than I am the Magic because I I believe in Sean Marks. Yeah, I'm right with you, I think. Yeah. If anything, that's you're deriving hope from having confident management and going, going from King. Billy King to Sean Marks is just like <laughs> a world of difference. Uh so, Mort, I want to ask you this. Brian Lewis of the New York Post reported this week that Contavious Caldwell-Pope of the Pistons is going to be a top priority this summer. He will be a restricted free agent. We saw Marks last year get really creative in the restricted free agent market. Uh, he tried to get Tyler Johnson from the Heat and Alan Crabb from the Blazers, but both of those teams matched. So, if you are Sean Marks, Mort, do you max out KCP to get him into Brooklyn? So I I just have to remember who did this. I think it was the Vertical who introduced uh, a segment called the Jerome James All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Basically, so, some deals that could be made in the future that would be just as bad as like the Jerome James deal <laughs> in the New York sign back uh-huh. in 2005, I believe. Uh, I would put a maxed out Contavious Caldwell Pope up there <laughs> as of right now. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong; I kind of, I, I really enjoy KCP. I just don't think he's the max kind of player. I think mm-hmm. he is a very solid starting two guard. At least if he keeps up his current percentages and his his defense, which seems to be better and better. But like this is a dude who let's just take last year where he played almost thirty seven minutes a game. He didn't even grab four rebounds. He was less than two assists a game, less than 15 points, shot just 30.9% from downtown. I mean, he's got holes. I, I think it's fair to say that he's got holes, and I, I could see the logic if you had a guy in KCP who was solid all around, mm-hmm. then fine, but he's he, he really isn't. Um, 
I granted he's 24, so it's kind of like an Alan Crab situation, but I wouldn't max him. I would probably give him something like the Crab deal. What was that? 75 over 4? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 4 years, 75. Yeah, okay, I'll test that one out. I'm not yeah. going to max out KCP because why the hell would I? Right. I, I think what you're hoping for is basically the Harrison Barnes effect in that yeah. if you put him in a featured role, he will flourish, score 20-plus points a game, that kind of but thing. But he already but, has a featured role. That's the problem. Right, right. I mean, he's taking 12 shots a game. That's, is that Harrison Barnes took, what, nine at most at some point? Like, settled for seven or eight? I mean, wouldn't you argue shooting 12 to 13 times a game is is having a featured role? At least more featured than Harrison Barnes, for sure. And like right. KCP has gone through flashes this year where he looks like that superstar caliber player, but lately he's been uh, floundering a little bit. And we will we will talk about the Pistons in a later episode because that is a whole another yeah, uh, yeah. conundrum. Um, by, by the way, thank you guys so much for not dogging me because remember my prediction about Jeremy Lin with Brooklyn? I said he'd average twenty two a game this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if he stayed healthy, he, he played really well. He averaged 26 games, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. I'm just saying, oh, by the way, he is averaging 21.5 per 36. So there you go, yeah. I'll take that, but that's not, I mean, what? what is he, his raw number? 13.7, yeah. yeah. Just, a, a, just a bitch off, bit off. A, a, lot, <laughs> bitch. a, a lot of bitch. that is due to, you know, the injury. They've been conservative about how many minutes he played coming back from that, so... That I'm not going to throw you under the bus for that. I, I think Jeremy Lin played very well when he's been healthy. It's just yeah. that when he's been healthy has been an operative phrase. Um, you know, my, my one hot take with the Nets is that I think they need to trade Brooke Lopez at the draft. <laughs> uh, he's got one year left on his deal, so they're not going to get much for him if they wait any longer. The thing I want to see, uh, I, I came up with this idea the other day when I was writing about the Pacers and Paul George, is you know they've got a lot of cap space they can absorb bad contracts so i would like them to trade lopez to the pacers that will be the pacers way of telling paul george you know we're serious about keeping you around we've got a lot of like we're willing to go all in they get the pacers pick which will again be somewhere in the 16 17 18 range giving the nets three picks you know basically with like, yeah and either monta or Al Jefferson. And oh, then, Al Jefferson, yeah. And then the Pacers also send a lightly protected 2019 first-round pick. The, the protections would depend on if you take Ellis and Al Jefferson back, you might have to give that thing up unprotected. And that's a big risk for the Pacers because Lopez and George could leave in 2018, mm. and they could really suck. Like, that could be <laughs> a top-three pick in 2019 if both of those guys bounce. So that that's the type of move... I would like to see them make. Uh, I, you know, I just think if you're gonna trade Lopez, you might as well weaponize your cap space as well to milk some type of really primo pick, or at least like mm-hmm. a possible primo pick. Um, you know, I'm obviously, yeah, obviously, complete <laughs> conjecture at this point. Uh, Peter Vesey did say at the trade deadline that the Pacers were sniffing around Brook Lopez, but no concrete proposals were thrown out. I think he mentioned like. Stucky and their first round pick for Lopez, which was obviously not enough because Stucky has not been very good this year. Um, yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye on what they do with Lopez around the draft, but do not be surprised if his name comes up 
and trade rumors because I, I do think now is the time to strike. Wait, just I might have an idea here. Okay. So, all depending on the number they have available in terms of cap space, right? Mm-hmm. What if they actually offer the Lakers to take both Luol Deng and Timofey Moskov off their hands mm. for for either Brooke or one of the youngsters? Uh huh. And then it costs them their their draft pick, like the the one they are going to have either this year or next year, uh, like the top one. So they would have to wait until at least after the lottery for that to happen, right? Because if if their pick goes to Philly this year, then they owe their 2019 first round pick to Orlando. So they the earliest pick they could trade is 2021. If oh they do okay not keep yeah that their makes top it a three. Yeah. But if the and if they do keep their top three, their twenty eighteen unprotected goes to Philly. So the earliest they could offer is twenty twenty. So they're the Lakers are kind of restricted in terms of trading future draft picks. Um, um, yeah, I just but, think, I was just thinking it might be good to like if you could offer the Lakers to take both those guys off your hands. Yeah, I mean they hands, only like... they only have with Lopez making twenty two point six million. They only have 67.1 in committed cap space. So they already have 35 million in cap space removed, you know, Lopez's 22 million from the books. They would have enough space to take both Deng and Mozgov. Um, but you would have to probably get, like, if the Lakers got a top three pick, you'd have to get that. Right. You'd have, you'd have to get probably Clarkson or something as well. Like, yeah, I don't Or think just D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, exactly. But you'd have to. I mean, the Lakers are de- a definite possibility, um, but yeah, <laughs> that one will depend on how the lottery plays out. But either way, the point is, I think you know Lopez is gonna. It would not be. It will not surprise me if the day after the draft, Lopez is on a new team. I just don't know. We'll have to see how the lottery shakes out to see where exactly he lands. Uh, so let's wrap things up with our moratorium section. With the Charlotte Hornets, who I should mention are not officially dead. They're actually only two and a half games behind the Miami Heat right now for the number eight seed. And the Heat are getting progressively more banged up by the minute. Um, That said, per playoffstatus.com, the Hornets have the second toughest remaining rest of season schedule among any East teams. So that does not bode well for them. So, Sarah, what do you think went wrong for Charlotte this year? And how does Michael Jordan and Rich Cho, their general manager, fix it? Well, we talked about in the beginning of the season that you know I thought it was going to be a little difficult for them to score because they didn't mm-hmm. have a ton of shooting, and you know they kind of did well anyway because they had a, a really solid defense. They're still top ten in defense, um, and Cody Zeller was that rim running big that you know if you don't have a ton of shooting, you kind of need that for spacing and occupying defense. And he really fit in well in that role. And then, of course, he got hurt. So I think that that really hurt him. I just think they they need to add some shooting. You know, yeah. The defense is, is really good. Uh, KCP, who we just talked about, is a really fine defender. His jump shot bothers the hell out of me. But, uh, you know, they're shooting like 35% from three as a team. Uh, so you gotta got to work on that <laughs> if they're going to be competitive. Uh I think really that's the biggest question mark because I, I like the way they're coached. I like the way they play. They just they just are a little lacking in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
to your Zeller point, I saw this stat on Twitter. With him, they are twenty nine and twenty two this year. Without him, they are three and seventeen. So Jeez. when he went down, that coincided with their tailspin, and they they've sort of started to pull out of it now that he's back. But the damage might be done at this point. Uh, Mort, do you do you think? There's any championship upside still left in this Hornets core, or do you think they're kind of doomed <laughs> to the treadmill of mediocrity? Yeah, so far they are. Uh, I've I've actually been wondering why they haven't given Jeremy Lamb more minutes. Mm-hmm. I, he's like a really solid rebounding guard. Mm-hmm. Like in case you haven't noticed, almost nine rebounds per game per thirty six. So he's a guy who can help out on the glass. He's had a rough shooting year, like from downtown. Which I, I kind of didn't expect from him career-wise when he came up from UConn. I thought he would be a better shooter. Mm-hmm. But I still like his game overall. He produces. like When he's out there, he's active all the time. And I would probably try to pair that with Kemba a little bit to so take some pressure off Kemba. Um, but in regards to them being a a championship contender down the line, no, they, they need to, to make some pretty significant changes. They have to upgrade from... Michael Kid uh, Kit Gilchrist, like I love his energy, his defense, his rebounding, but eleven percent from downtown, he can't stretch at right. all. You know, it's a problem. And the Cody Seller stat is is really intriguing and extremely perplexing <laughs> as well because he's he's not a high volume guy, like not even on the boards as well. He's just, as Sarah alluded to, he's the rim runner, and that's essentially it, like a, a hustle guy. Mm-hmm. Like that being a hustle guy is fine. But then you shouldn't be, like, starting. You should be the guy off the bench, the first big off the bench, who just comes in, plays 28 minutes like he does now, brings a boatload of energy, and then have some starters you can rely upon. Like, this, he's not going to go there because he's locked up in San Antonio, but a Lomarcus Aldridge <laughs> in Charlotte would be beautiful. Like, that would actually put their ceiling up significantly. Yeah. So here's here's the tricky thing with Charlotte. Right now, they have $114 million committed to next season already. The salary cap yeah. is projected to be $102 million. So they're going to have a draft pick in the late lottery if they don't make it into the playoffs. Uh, they could sign someone to the mid-level exception, but they're otherwise pretty limited in what they can do. So that's the part that scares me about this team. Like That's why I didn't quite understand the Miles Plumley deal uh, yeah, that right. they made <laughs> they made at the trade deadline because you know again that Cody Zeller stat says it all like that's he's <laughs> for whatever reason they're really you know they're a, an above average they are a playoff caliber team with him in the lineup and then he went down and all of a sudden things went to hell uh, they have Frank Kaminsky you know I, I think not trading that pick in 2015 will continue to haunt them because the Celtics, you know, remember, reportedly offered, like, four first-round picks for that because um, they really wanted Justice Winslow, which is... Uh, it seems like Charlotte saved them from themselves at that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just don't see... You know, it, it seems like this team, they have enough talent where they'll be frisky enough, you know, 35, 40, even 45 wins for the next couple of years. But I don't see a way out, barring substantial improvement from I don't know I mean like you know Kemba's already elevated to close to all-star status Batum's nearing 30 
Marvin Williams is already 30. Marco Bellinelli's 30. Like, it it just seems like there are very few avenues for another superstar on their roster to emerge, but they are in cap hell for the next two years at least. So barring a significant trade, I don't really see a way out. So let's fix that. Let's fix okay. that, because here's the thing. Kemba Walker is probably on one of the best deals. No, he's not probably. He is on one of the best deals in the league. Mm-hmm. He's earning $12 million straight, like mm-hmm. last year, this year, next year, and 2018-2019, meaning you have two summers left to do something where you benefit from Kemba's contract. If you do not upgrade, and even if it means like a retooling process, while Kemba is this cheap, then you've made a huge mistake. Yeah. So even if it means sacrificing Batum, then that's what you got to do. You got to get a lot of these high-earning guys off the roster, and then you need to, yeah, I think hit free agency, honestly, and then you just bring Kemba in at every meeting. Like, look, Kemba is, is a legitimate all-star caliber. Like, you know, you said he was near all-star level. I would argue he's there. It's just a question of not having enough all-star right, spots. Right, he's yeah. so good. and he's, Well, he made it what? this year, didn't he? Pretty sure he did. did. I have not paid attention to the all-star game at all. Did he, did he make the all-star? <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, See, okay. Sarah's right there. there. Yeah, there we did. Oh, man. I just, Brian, we need to take, you know, we need to look at the all-star game a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> Who so. just ignored it? Yeah. It was crap, but yeah. I, I paid particular attention to that because there were like four point guards in the East that I really wanted to make it, and he was oh, one right. of them. Yeah. And I was oh, very okay. happy that he made it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Me too, actually, because I I was thinking like when we were talking about it, and when when Brian said near All Star, I was like, man, didn't he make an All Star? He should have made an All Star team. Right. Apparently, right. he I, did. <laughs> yeah, I should have clarified that. I've totally blanked on him actually making. Oh, it me too. Year, but I me I should too. have clarified that it was. He is playing at that level. It's just a question yeah. of role, spaces on the roster. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, like, this is a guy who knocks down three triples at 40% on the year, averages 23 points almost, five and a half assists, four rebounds, and he's a closer. You, you, He's not, like, an, a selfish player. He was early in, the, in his career, but that's not the case anymore. He's playing winning basketball from his part. He just doesn't have, doesn't have the talent around him, so... With him and his salary being as low as it is, if they don't take advantage, they're screwed long term. They have two summers to fix those. So, Mike, get on the phone. I mean, yeah. that's what you need to do right now. It, yeah. And it means sacrificing next year, probably, in terms of the win and loss column. But so be it. Yeah. I really don't know. They're going to be a fascinating team to watch in the coming months because I don't know which players they could give up and get something of huge value in return just because all their guys are signed to long-term deals and none of them really have that superstar upside but we'll see what happens uh it should be a fun one to watch this summer and next year Mm -hmm. so let's move on to our since last time segment which is only going to feature one story that we already touched on last time uh the national tv debate so Morton and I discussed this in last episode. You can check out last episode to hear our thoughts. Sarah was not able to join us last time. So I want to get your thoughts on this, Sarah, with the context that apparently Commissioner Adam Silver sent a memo to team owners on Monday about it. 
Uh, he warned of, quote, significant penalties for teams that don't abide by the league's rules, um, which basically, if you are, if you have a game, you have to submit a injury list um, or an Ill- injury and illness report the 5 p.m. the day before the game. So what the Cavs did apparently was not list Kyrie and Kevin Love on that report last week before their Clippers game. They didn't do it by 5 p.m. on Friday. So it came as a surprise to the league that those two guys were sitting out on Saturday, and that's what theoretically got Adam Silver so pissed off about this. So, Sarah, do you think... What do you think that the league needs to do about this? Do you think it's a... Should they, like, change their rules? Is it something they just need to work on behind the scenes with coaches and players? You know, there's been talk of, like, is this just a symptom of the season being too long? Where do you stand on the DNP rest, especially for national TV games? Well, I hadn't heard that story, and I'm actually a little pissed because I feel like that should have been right off the bat a, a quarter million dollar fine. I, I <laughs> right. Greg Popovich already <laughs> fell on that sword, yeah. so yeah. I'm not sure why they got a warning. Um, no, I mean, from the beginning, I've been a proponent of the league staying out of it. I don't really think... It's a great way to handle it, the way Adam Silver. I mean, I get I get warning them that they all need to follow that rule, but mm-hmm. I don't like telling owners that they should be getting involved. Um, I don't like the league at all trying to tell people when they should play certain players. I think, you know, if the league were allowing teams to up prices based on uh, who's coming to town, then that would that would be a, a situation where say those guys don't play, oh, you know, the prices get raised because Steph Curry's coming to town and Steph doesn't play and he's healthy, then you would owe the customers the difference. But as far as I could tell, that that doesn't really happen. It's more resale market, but I need to Mm -hmm. look into that a little more. Um, But no, I I don't want the league to get involved. I think it has to be a behind-the-scenes thing. It really has to do with scheduling. Um, You know, and and we talked about, I think they're going to, improve that a little bit next year with starting the season earlier, having mm-hmm. fewer back-to-backs. They've already been cutting back-to-backs. I think that will help, but it's not going to be fixed next year. It's not going to be a quick, easy fix. Right. Uh, they also should look at, you know, if you want these big marquee games, then, yeah, don't have it be where one team is on a five-game in seven nights schedule coming up for this big game that you're promoting. Um, but it's, you know... <laughs> scheduling for the NBA is really tricky anyway with the arenas being as busy as they are too so it's not going to be easy but I think it needs to be a behind the scenes thing it needs to be more about scheduling Um, and I don't want the league trying to tell people teams when when certain guys should play or that they have to play them or that there should be significant penalties for not playing them Mm -hmm. unless like Adam Silver said they're not letting people know in enough time It, it does suck for fans. I was at the, the Spurs game the other night. People were pretty pretty pissed. There were a lot of sides around the, the arena. Of There was a uh, the NBA where resting happens sign. Oh, no. And uh, this other guy who was really annoying, honestly. <laughs> but uh, he was standing like right near the baseline in these um, shades in the arena. I don't know why he had colored shades on, but... <laughs> Uh, yelling, you know, I, I flew 2,000 miles for this or something. Like, oh, well, God. Anyway, there's no sure things, you know. Right. But I think if you really want to see great matchups, I guess 
the best thing you can do is is go for the playoffs. Of course, those tickets cost more anyway, too, right, to begin right. with. But I think go. if you're going to spend a lot of money to see a matchup, that's what you should go for. Yeah, or just go early in the season and check the schedule yeah, to make sure. sure there are no back-to-backs because <laughs> uh, that will help. But, yeah, I mean, you, you came down pretty much where Morton and I did uh, last yeah. week. We were just saying, like, it sounds like the league is going to be more proactive about avoiding back-to-backs for national TV games, as they should. Uh, but neither one of us think, you know, we both said, like, what do you want? Do you want guys playing 82 games and being worn down or hurt for the playoffs? Or do you want them playing 75 and then having the energy that LeBron James did last year to come up with, yeah. you know, one of the most memorable plays in finals history in Game 7? Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's. we need to talk about... This is this has been a, a weird week for ESPN because <laughs> uh, they've had two stories. You know, it's like the doldrums of the season when all of a sudden, like <laughs> instead of covering actual basketball, they have these huge features on things that are only tangentially related to basketball. So <laughs> Tom Haberstroh of ESPN.com released a story, I believe Wednesday, uh, that noted. Home teams are only winning 57.4% of the time this season, which is the lowest rate in NBA history. And one theory about why that was is Tinder. Apparently, most of... He talked. He said he talked with dozens of players, coaches, trainers, and front office executives, and most of them think the same thing is happening. NBA players are sleeping more and drinking less. So basically, the idea is when they're on the road, instead of having to go out clubbing to meet women like taking them out to dinner afterward uh they just go on tinder sometimes they have girls like waiting in their hotel room when they get back from a game or when they land at night so it's just uh <laughs> you know they have they, the the idea is you get a couple more hours of sleep because you do not have to go out and actually meet people in the ways they used to uh it's so, basically takeout right yeah it's takeout with sex uh, it's so, horrible, really. yeah. <laughs> like the way it's been depicted. My God. Yeah. yeah. So, so where, where where do you stand on this the Tinderization? Do you think this is an actual? Do you think this is playing a role? Look, I have been in the same relationship since two thousand and four, <laughs> yeah. so I have not even tried Tinder. I have no idea how it works. I, have, I the only thing I understand about t- Tinder is that you swipe one way if you don't want to something message i don't even know something about swiping right or left whatever but at the end of the day i get the concept that the the rise of the internet has given (laughs) well rise to the nba players (laughs) in a different way um uh, on their at their hotel room so then you, you know what hell if it makes the product better then i'm not one to complain uh i i I dislike the fact, like from women's perspective, how this is all right. going on. It seems like they're just being used as some sort of tool. That's extremely wrong. Uh, I don't really know where I land on this. It's I, I land on the fact that I think this is a humorous story that I I think it's interesting, and I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't think I have an opinion on like if it's good or bad for the league i i assume it's good that they don't go out drinking and don't get in trouble like fist mm-hmm. fights we're not going to see paul pierce get stabbed 11 times again that's for right sure. right yeah that that is a tangible benefit uh sarah i mean i'm not going to name names here but i know you have told us about some things you have heard <laughs> uh, in nba arenas in terms of players 
trying to pick up women while at the games. So do you think there, there's some theory here, or there's some validity to Haberstroh's theory here that Tinder is helping these guys, you know, maximize their time? <laughs> I'm sure there probably is. Yeah, I, I didn't read the article. I, I'm not super invested in the sexual habits of NBA players. <laughs> it is an interesting theory. I mean... I think that's also just a byproduct of, you know, the age that we live in, the social media mm-hmm. age. Everything is kind of at your fingertips, and you can get much quicker. Um, <laughs> and, you know, more what more brought up about the women. I mean, you know, hopefully in these situations they're getting out of it what they want out of it, too. I mean, they you know, volunteering for the situation. But, uh yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not really, I don't know how Tinder works. Uh, not that interested in all of it, but I think, yeah, it, anything is a good thing if it's keeping NBA players out of clubs mm-hmm. in early morning hours because right. I, there's that old saying that nothing good ever happens past a certain time. <laughs> right. And yeah, especially if you're in the club. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's probably for the best. Like you said, no more, no more Paul Pierce, no more Stephen Jackson at the strip club with his friends oh, you know, yeah, getting yeah. into a fight. You know, oh yeah. If that's not happening, then it's a good thing. Oh man, I, now I'm sad that Allen Iverson isn't playing right now. He would be <laughs> no more TGA Fridays after the games. That uh, I guess that whole chain would be shut down in Philly, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with you guys. I mean, I. I, 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 this is one of those times where I'm going to say uh, correlation is not causation. So I don't think that this is, you know, I, I don't think that home court advantage is down because of Tinder. I think that's probably one of a number of factors, including, you know, guys are, they're just taking better care of their bodies. Like there's too much money on the line for them to be dicking around and going out till 4 a.m. and then having a game the next day. Cause like, it's pretty obvious when, you know, J.R. Smith, when he was in New York, like, you could tell if J.R. Smith was playing a noon game on a Sunday, <laughs> you know, it, it it became very quickly apparent, like, oh, J.R. Smith is 3 for 13 today. I wonder what he was doing last night. And just as you, you both mentioned, it's like a byproduct of the era that we live in. It's just, it becomes more obvious. Uh, you know, people have smartphones everywhere. So if you see a guy in a club and you, like, take his video and then he's on TMZ and then there's a game the next day at noon. It's like, Oh, well now I see why you played like crap. Um, so yeah, I'm with you in that. Uh, it's good just to keep them, you know, if it helps them get more sleep, that's great. But I, I do not think that is the only reason Bill Simmons had a column today and he, or a mailbag column today where he addressed this as well. And he's like, yeah, also teams are shooting more threes and there's just more variance there. So, yeah. That could be playing a part, too. Um, By the way, Wilt, under these circumstances. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Triple the number? It's unbelievable. <laughs> he had to work for it, at least. Right. He would have a triple-double during the game and then after the game as well. That would be... <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't even... I was trying to figure it out. Yeah. That's Let's great. not. Uh, all right. <laughs> so let's. Yeah, we need to talk about the other big, hard-hitting ESPN story this week from Baxter Holmes about the NBA's new obsession with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which apparently started 
with the Boston Celtics, the uh, the 2007-2008 Boston Celtics, it has spread like wildfire across the association uh, within the past decade. There was almost a mutiny, in fact, in Golden State when they tried to take away their PB&Js. So I, I want us to both relay our favorite anecdote from this story and then also share our personal PB&J preference. And I, I want to call dibs on the Dwight Howard part because there was a there's this anecdote that you know he he was comes to the Lakers uh he has the back the herniated disc and just he just didn't seem totally right there um and then apparently the Lakers nutritionist uh he was getting complaints uh from Howard about or sorry she was getting complaints from Howard about that his legs were tingling and she noticed uh, he was having trouble catching passes. Uh, apparently, his fingers were also tickling. And then she she realized that he was eating so much sugar that he was having a nerve dysfunction, which was in patients of pre-diabetes. Apparently, he had or was it, about two dozen chocolate bars worth of sugar every single day for years, which is just amazing. That's It really explains so much about Dwight Howard. So, uh, Mort, what about, what did you like from this Baxter Home story? Well, I, wasn't it Washington that was, uh, that, that had some serious trouble with, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches getting taken away? I think it was them who had, like, the, the whole uprising. <laughs> you, you mentioned it initially. I, that was the thing that, that caught my eye. Like, a mm-hmm. whole team just going on saying, nope, nope, you don't dare take that away. Don't you dare. And it was because they went to a different product. I think they oh, went to more right. organic or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. It was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. uh, man, uh, I, I kind of dig these stories, even though it's not really NBA specific in that sense. Because it's just like a fun little side order for the NBA season, right? Yeah. And coming in, at this particular time of the season, it's pretty good. Because now we're all just kind of waiting for the playoffs anyway. Right. But yeah, no. The, I mean, how can you top the Dwight Howard story? I, like, I, I think what in uh, the Dwight Howard story as well, they came up with what boxes, like plural boxes right, of right. candy bars. They yeah. raided his house <laughs> and they came out with boxes of these. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's like it reminded huh that he ate. It's mind blowing that he ate that much sugar. Yeah, I know it's, it really incredible. is. I mean, he's a big like, dude, so, you know, I'm sure yeah, you have right. to keep up your calorie intake, but, like, two dozen, I mean, they said yeah, two dozen insane. chocolate bars worth of sugar, so it might not have been, like, he was scarfing down, like, 24 Snickers bars, but, you know, he yeah. might have been, like, 12 Snickers bars and some cookies and some like, pie <laughs> and cake and, who you know, who knows, but, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's unreal, though, like, remember Derrick Rose when he came into the league with Skittles? Oh, yeah. Yep. All about the Skittles, all yeah. the time. Like, so many people. Uh, Paul Pierce had an interesting um, quote many years ago. I, I don't remember who interviewed him. It was a long time ago. But he had started out his career, and he was drinking soda like he did in mm-hmm. college and mm-hmm. whatnot. And now he'd gotten so accustomed to the way that he practiced and trained and whatnot that he, if he had a sip of of soda he was like oh i i I can't i just i can't do it it's Mm. it's horrible it's so sweet that it actually hurts my mouth he was so used to just drinking water Mm -hmm. because that was the thing that he went on like you know i'm just keeping it straight on water 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 right like that's that's 
eye-opening to me. Like, I, I when I read that, I remember I need to get off, like, yeah. every kind of sugar because I was kind of inspiring and then, like, fell in because I'm a fat ass. <laughs> right. Well, we're not NBA players, so we're not... If I was being paid to maintain my body, I'd probably take a little bit better care of it as well. (laughs) It is amazing how you can condition yourself, though. You know, like, even if you cut out salt and then you have a little bit, it's, it's like, overload. Yeah. 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 Uh, Did Uh, anything jump out from this story to you, Sarah? Yeah. I liked uh, the Luke Walton. He was so committed to his (laughs) protest. (laughs) It's like every time he got on the plane, they asked him, what can we get you? He said, PB and J. And they're like, yeah, we don't have that because they had a new nutritionist who was trying to trying to cut out all sugars. (laughs) (laughs) And he just every time and then he finally got stuff involved. And that's how they got their PB and J's back. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely read this because I'm super interested in PB and J. It's so crazy. Well, there was one other, but I can't remember now what it was. Oh, I think... No, I don't know if this was in the article. It might have been in a tweet from Matt Bonner or one of the... Mike Wright, maybe one of the writers, but apparently the Spurs have a an actual scale where they keep track of where they think the best PB&Js are. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and apparently it's a big talk like in all locker rooms. It's, I think Matt Bonner said that. that everyone's always discussing like the ratio of peanut butter to jelly. Oh <laughs> Who has the best ones? It's oh, such a man. weird subculture. I wish Alex were still on because she refuses. She she does like a little dab of jelly and then the rest is peanut butter. But I'm like, oh, I'm no. a fifty fifty guy. You gotta <laughs> yeah. gotta make it even. But she yeah. yeah. Right. When we have kids, it's gonna be a battle. It's just every day, <laughs> who gets to make their PB and J's? Oh, I also like that. Uh, I guess Smuckers is in Ohio, and so the uh, Cavs right. have a deal with them with yeah. the Crustables. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. give them to the away teams because <laughs> right. they've they've been processed and frozen, so they have fresh. But they give the away teams the Crustables. Right, like right, right. That was good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So quickly before we finish up with our crush. Let's let's go around the table and our favorite PBJ style. Sarah, let's start with you. <laughs> I've always been just a regular peanut butter grape jelly person. Although when uh, I read the article, I I was reading about all the strawberries and the toasted. I so I that night I had a toasted strawberry and peanut butter. <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Smooth. Nice. Okay. Wait, what about you? So I don't like peanut butter at all. <laughs> I'm Danish, okay? I'm that's not like a thing over here the peanut butter jelly sandwich. I've tried it and I thought it was horrible. And I've tried I wanted to to like it, so I've tried it several times when I've been in the states. I just can't. I can't. It's it's too sweet. It's all too sweet. We we like salty foods over here. <laughs> Scandinavians, Listen, dude. Listeners, I'm sorry. This is Morton Jensen's last episode of the yeah. It's been great having you the last year. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I promise I promise when you invite me to Tennessee, I'll try yeah. again. Yeah, we'll put some fried I'll chicken try. on there and that'll be good. <laughs> you'll will get the salt from the fried chicken and then the sweetness from the PB and J. Oh, you know what I'm gonna bring you? I am gonna bring you oh I this A is gonna sound brutal, brutal <laughs> in, in, in English, but they are called super prurados, which are from Haribo. Um it's a it's a candy company. And that's it's licorice that is really, really s- spicy and salty and hot, mm. and it's 
beautiful and it's gorgeous <laughs> and you're gonna hate it and i'm gonna oh. love seeing you hate it yeah that sounds awful i thought eating shark in iceland was the worst thing i would eat this year but little <laughs> did i know all right let's let's wrap things up this week with our crushes of the week uh as always these are guys who are not getting the attention they deserve so sarah let's start with your crush for the week Hold up. Are you leaving us in suspense? Did you say oh, my PB&J? PB&J? Oh, I'm with you. Uh, creamy <laughs> okay. and then grape jelly. And none of this whole wheat. I would Classic. also have the protests if they tried to do the organic <laughs> peanut butter, the whole wheat bread. None of that. Okay, so uh, my, my crush for this week was just uh, Meritich, partially nice. to troll Morton. Uh, <laughs> because he's got this ongoing <laughs> your face. That was my guy! Oh, no. <laughs> I thought it might be. Yeah. So you could you could talk about him. It was partially just because you have this ongoing. I don't even know if it's a joke. I think you firmly <laughs> believe he's going to be a spur and that he'll be a, like a super role player with the Spurs. So that's fun. But also because I agree, I think you and Mark brought up that Hoiberg has kind of mismanaged him this year, and it's mm-hmm. you know he's gone backwards a little bit, and it's a shame that they haven't really figured out what to do with him this year so you can talk about how he broke out if you want (laughs) no no that's that's fine basically i could just you know what it's so easy it's the fact that they treat him as a shooter and not a scorer he is he is this multifaceted dude and they use him like as a bailout guy it doesn't work that way when he was under tibbs he got to the line like at an elite number and he found a balance between how to create off the dribble and getting to the line and spotting up from outside. He wasn't hitting the shot initially in his rookie season, so the percentage was a bit low. But it wasn't really a case of his true worth at all. Uh, he, he was a significantly better shooter than that. So the game against Detroit, where he had 28, you saw him as a scorer first, not just a shooter. And it was just the the, the difference in way he scored was just like so easy, like... Hoiberg, why? How could you not see this? He's been mismanaged for two years, and people are like, "Oh, he sucks." Oh no, he's gonna surprise the living poop out of so many people next year <laughs> in a Spurs jersey. Because, <laughs> um, just go there, Nico. I'd take a discount if you have to. Just go there. Oh no, he's restricted. So if he takes a discount, the Bulls are probably yeah. gonna match. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like Jimmy and Dwayne Wade might just hate him so much they'll let him go, no matter how much he gets. Um, you know what? That's that's so weird though because he was like the guy that could actually bridge those two. Yeah, I know. You, so you would that's think. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good mind melt, guys. I like the Nico pick. Yeah. Uh, I picked him up <laughs> in fantasy basketball right before his breakout, uh, mostly nice. which was due because of Robin Lopez throwing a pseudo punch at Serge Ibaka, but. Hey, that was fun. fun. That was fun. Yeah, that was that, both of those punches. If they connected, that would have been like a knockout punch, especially Abaka. Like he was yeah. real close to just one punch and you're out. So I'm yeah. so glad he didn't because re- look at Toronto's playoff chance or well, their chances in the playoffs. He would have been suspended for like what 15 games. Oh yeah, that that could have been a season under for him. That, I mean, that was real close. Um, all right, for my crush of the week, I'm going with Tim Hardaway Jr. The Hawks have been besieged by injuries at the worst possible time. Paul Millsap is out. Kent Bazemore is out. Um, thankfully, Hardaway Jr. is stepping up. In the last five games, he has 19.4 points, three assists, two threes, two rebounds, and a steal in 31 minutes. Need I remind you guys that he is a restricted free agent this summer? He's about to get paid. Oh, 
He is about to get paid. KCP Hello, is the, Brooklyn. Yeah, KCP is the guy, you know, who's like the top tier two guard on the market. But I would not be surprised if Hardaway Jr. Uh, at least comes close to providing the value that he will. But on a, I don't think he's going to get a max deal. At least probably a far cheaper deal. Uh, he's another guy who, if if Indiana. Uh, pursues my Brooke Lopez plan and can offload Monta Ellis or Al Jefferson. I think Hardaway Jr. is a guy I would like to see them go after as well. And if you're wondering why I'm talking so much about Indiana, it's because I just wrote 2,500 words about them, which will be up on people. I'll break down shortly. But yeah, kudos to Hardaway Jr. for keeping the Hawks at least in that five spot for the time being. Yeah. Guns to your head, who would you rather have? Hardaway or KCP assuming same price? Ooh, KCP, just because I think he's a better defender. But uh, based on the value I expect them to return, like on a dollar per win share basis, I have a feeling mm. Hardaway will outproduce KCP next year. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I mean, the defense for KCP wins me over as well, but it's so close. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot closer than I thought it would have been coming into the year. Because remember, like... Oh, yeah. The, the Hawks had just signed Kent Bazemore to a massive, what, like, four-year, $70 million 70. deal. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay, why, you know, uh, I don't really see Hardaway Jr. having a huge role. But turns out he did. Yeah, because Bazemore has been horrible. Right. Yes, Bazemore has been very bad. Uh, all right. <laughs> that will wrap things up for this week's episode of the NBA Podcast. Thank you for listening to us and enjoying our antics about peanut butter and jellies uh welcome to late march in the nba <laughs> and just, tinder yeah, and tinder right <laughs> just a reminder that you can follow us on twitter at the nba pod in our bio are all three of our twitter handles so give us a follow there uh you can see us on itunes we'd love it if you subscribe downloaded left some reviews you can find our itunes link at the bottom of our audio boom page and then uh, we are also hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. As always, I was Brian Toporek. Uh, special guest thanks to my wife, Alex, for coming on and explaining Joel Embiid's injuries. Uh, but otherwise, I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Great talking to you, too, guys. Good Likewise, talk. Brian. Take care now. And. Uh, just send Alex my love because she is doing God's work in, <laughs> in taking you away from different people. You know, she's saving saving the earth, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's a much better person than I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. All right. Bye, bye guys. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and more. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. 
That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.